What does forgiveness have to do with prayer? What is our daily bread? And how important is prayer to the church? Chris and Murdoch try to tackle these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I am Chris. And I am Murdoch. And we are back with the the Lord's Prayer. We're going to continue that out. And, and as we looked at last week, the Lord's Prayer, but really the disciples' prayer. You know, they, they came to Jesus and we cross-referenced with Luke where they were saying, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, and, and both of them, then this is how you should pray. Kind of giving them an example of, of an order and a structure. And we kind of looked at the, the structure tier being admiration, admitting, and asking. And uh, so we followed this process of talking about uh, starting with God, Him being the Father, then going into hallowed be your name, and, and kind of talking about His name and the power that it brings, and then His kingdom come and His will be done. Uh, again, kind of bringing the culture of heaven down to here. And so we talked about those things and just the, that, that the prayer is really the engine of the church. So when we pray together, that's how we kind of move things towards God's will yeah. here on this earth. And really prayer being the engine being so essential. We just had a missionary come and talk at Belong, the young adults group that, that I lead. And he is over in Egypt and he went through the whole uh, revolution that went on there and like all of this stuff. And part of his message when he, when he was bringing his challenge, he's like, look, you can go somewhere with all of the resources, the people, the money, all of it, right? And whatever your plan he goes, but what makes anything work is prayer. He goes, when you're praying and when you're in step with God, that's when you'll see it happen. If you're just coming in with all of like your abilities and resources and stuff, he's like, you can't force it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's not going to force the thing to happen. It's when we actually go to God with it. And I think that then through that, God can use all of the resources and do everything. But yeah, prayer being the engine behind everything. And I think that that's where the disciples really locking in, that they're seeing Jesus pray and they're going, hey, John taught his disciples to pray. Can you teach us to pray? Because we see what's going on here. We like we want to know what, what this is. Yeah, I I kind of looked at it all too when we were we got done talking about it, and even now that like I think it's probably more of like a maybe Western culture or an American thing where prayer just isn't used or utilized like it should be. Like for us, so many times it's our last resource instead of the first thing we go to. We pray. And when we do, mainly it's probably because we're praying for our meal or because someone asked us to or at church. But I do believe, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'm going to speak for myself also, but I will say there is a good percentage of Christians in America who struggle with prayer on a daily basis and having a real communication with God. And what checked me is I read this in like a, in one of my commentaries getting ready for studying. It said, maybe prayer... Uh, is one of our greatest sins because of what it really says about who we really think or who we think really is in charge. I don't pray because I got this. And I, I really liked how you brought it up, the disciples and you know how we said the engine of the church. And all across the world, when you look at missionaries, every time they come back, they talk about these great things that are happening in their countries that their missionaries at because there's always this like, we're praying for this, we're praying for everything. It's almost like they have to, like it's, no, we know we need to run to God because we don't have the tools or the resources. But here in America, we've got all the tools and the resources. We can make ourselves the kind of the grand champion, if you will, of everything because it's here at our feet. So we depend more on ourselves and, and go to God less. See, when I'm in conversations with people, 
I find that anybody that I ask, I mean, just with being a pastor and talking with people and I'm kind of checking in, you know, how are your spiritual disciplines, where are you at with stuff? Almost everybody says, oh, no, I pray. And whether it be kind of the, oh, I pray throughout the day and I'm always just talking mm-hmm. with God or no, I have like a dedicated time that I'll sit down and I'll pray normally like, oh, before I go to bed, you know, like I'll pray and stuff. And I just wonder is what we think prayer is what we are instructed on how to pray again the disciples are coming and say teach us to pray and i wonder sometimes if all of us running around like oh no i pray i pray i pray i pray it's like but are we actually praying right or or are you just thinking like Mm -hmm. is it you and your own thoughts or is it you just throwing stuff up and it's hitting the ceiling because kind of like in james it says hey look you don't have it because you're not asking when you do ask you're asking a minute you're asking for your own pleasures and i think we touched on that last time yeah but to where it's just like just because you're saying words and because you believe that you're directing it towards god like doesn't mean that that's how you should be going about it or that it's an actual effective prayer i don't know yeah i i think what it really comes down to because we looked at it and that's a great point because we looked at it with religious hypocrisy right the babbling on and don't pray like this because this person just says many words and this and that and really it's not really about the quantity of words i think jesus was getting on it was the what was coming out of the heart or the mouth really was just meaningless. There was nothing behind it. It was just repetitive, saying something over and over again, kind of like what we uh, as Christians sometimes have made the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's something we repeat, but we don't really understand the full depth of it or the power of it. I was taught the Lord's Prayer by my dad when, when I was very young. We couldn't eat dinner until we memorized it. And that was how he taught us how to what the Lord's Prayer is. So but you there didn't was... eat dinner until you were like five, huh? No, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just never had dinner. Just never had dinner. No, it was like one day he was like, <clears throat> you're not going to eat until you learn this thing. But it was just to memorize it for memory's sake. And it, there was no like principles or why we're memorizing the order and the format. So I think there is a big problem with maybe we're not praying properly. Even though we may think we have a, a communication with God, uh, we're not really praying properly. And I liked, I think I mentioned it last week, and I'll say it one more time before we we go forward a little bit, is that what this shows us is uh, how God communicates with God. It's Jesus communicating with God, and that's how God communicates with God. So we should try to follow that same structure. Um, Chris, I'm kind of offended. You just said that I might not be praying properly. <laughs> Who are you to say such a thing? Look, man, this is between me and God and my prayer life, and I don't think that you're in the place or position to tell me that I'm not praying right. Right. Obviously, I'm being facetious, but we do kind of live in a day and age to where that's kind of the approach to where it's like, yeah, I don't know. We can just get weird about when it comes to, no, that's just there can be a proper way of going about things and don't get offended. Well, it's a, this is my relationship with God, right? Mm-hmm. This is my relationship with God. Don't tell me how to have my relationship with God, but clearly God is telling you have, how to have a relationship with him. It's throughout the whole Bible. Do this, do this, obey my commands. Follow what I put before you. Submit. Be willing. This is how you should pray. But every, you know, people get into the, yeah, but don't tell me how to do things, which is, I think, a problem with why there's the pick and choose of the Bible nowadays, where we pick and choose what we like, but, and say, I'm obedient. And we're almost basically the rich young ruler now, right? The problem wasn't his money. It was Jesus saying, can you be completely obedient and give up your stuff? And he was like, yeah, that's just the one area I I don't want to give into. I like what you're offering, God. I like what you're offering, Jesus. And everything you have there is is cool. 
but this is the area I still just want to cling on to. And that's, a, I think, a philosophy that's stuck in a lot of our heads and why we kind of say kind of your facetious response to me yeah. right now. And it's, it is a hard thing when it comes to prayer. I mean, at a certain point, I think of another time Jesus is, is, is teaching, and he says, look, when you pray a prayer of faith, if you have faith in your prayer, you can say to that mountain, move, and that mountain will move. It'll get, be cast into the sea, right? And it's a really interesting thing there because he doesn't just say, hey, when, when you pray, when you say words, the mountain will move. He says, when you have faith, hmm. the mountain will move. And again, it comes down to the thing of, well, just because you say that you're praying, like, is there actually faith behind it? Just because you say that you're saying the words or like you're saying, well, I can recite the Lord's prayers. Like, well, where is the faith behind it? What are we putting the trust in? Are we actually approaching God correctly? And this is a really long intro, so maybe we can get into, <laughs> get into what's happening here. Yeah, it just gave me that everything you just said gave the perfect analogy of what happened to me as a kid, right? Learn this prayer so you could get something. And that's the most improper way to learn. how. Like prayer isn't about just getting something for God. It's actually having a relationship, a communion with him. But a lot of times we've, we've taken prayer as this is what I do to get something from God instead of, no, this is how I have a relationship with him. This is how I get to know him, and this is how I get to recognize where he is at in my life and who he is. But yeah, let's, let's get into it. So we're going to pick up on verses 11, and we'll, we'll go into uh, 15. And it says, Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Yeah, it's really funny because this seems so basic, right? Our daily bread. I'm just going to nerd out for a second. So the word for their daily in the Greek, how is this pronounced? It's like pio, uh, epiusios. If I I'm hope pronouncing you're not it. asking me how it's pronounced. But, oh, yeah, I am because, yeah, you know, you're fluent Greek. Uh, I think it's pronounced epiusios, and it's that word for daily. So you think this is a really simple thing like, oh, give us this day our daily bread. And that word epiusios is actually never used anywhere else in the Bible except the Lord's Prayer. It's actually used like almost nowhere else, even within ancient Greek documents that we have. So it's one of those things like, well, then how did translators end up at daily bread? And... Through some of the studying that I was doing, like one of the guys even said, look, at this point, the word daily is so ingrained in our English understanding that it'll probably never go away, even if there are other alternatives to it. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's just interesting that even when we're looking at Bible study, Bible reading, Bible whatever, to keep in mind that, yeah, you can read something and it can seem basic, but this is, we're reading it in a secondary language and through translators that are trying to grab the best word and to do so i think that as we are growing in our faith that as you read through the bible and you kind of get to know these things like dig deeper there are so many tools available for free online good stuff that you can pay for that whatever just really just how many times have okay so you've you memorized the lord's prayer when you were like however old to be able to go through on a study of just like well what does the actual language say Right. Like, I didn't know that that was the way that that word was. And, you know, then it's just 
we can go deeper, I guess is what I'm saying, to try and get better understanding of things. Like for this one, it's kind of inconsequential. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that word Epiusios is like super important and daily versus essential versus today or coming or, you know, whatever the other alternatives could be would really make a difference. But at certain points, like it really does make a difference to get in. So an easy thing without going to Greek, like obviously you can have different English translations to kind of read the same thing in a few different English ones to get a better handle on what's going on reading commentaries that's good to get some stuff on what's going on because the commentaries will normally go into the greek i just wanted to point that out that even something so simple you're just like well what could be a simpler phrase give us this day our daily bread meanwhile in the background the translators are just like oh my gosh this is the only place that this word is found that we can find anywhere but how do we translate it right i know that's not where you were going to go with it but i think there's just an interesting little nerdy tidbit that you go into it and i liked all of that too because it does make it the simple part of what we understand from the Bible, right? Our daily bread could mean so much more. There could have so much more behind it, right? There could be so much depth to this term. And even when I looked at it, you know, I have just a few bullet points with this part, but it's really the just this idea of like, I'm not supposed to worry about tomorrow. Like God wants me to just understand he gots me today. Mm-hmm. And when I worry about tomorrow, that's when I start adding stress to my life. That's when I start adding gray hairs that are now growing all over my face and hair. Uh, that's when I start adding more to what I'm supposed to take on, more than what I'm supposed to handle. And, and even when we kind of talk about the daily bread and trying to push it back to when the children of Israel were given the manna, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, God was like, here, this is your daily amount. Except for on this day, you collect double because that's for this day and the Sabbath, which will be tomorrow. But really, it was God constantly providing for the day and and for i think a lot of us we we try to handle so much more future planning which is fine and that's good and everything but being worried about it you know the the presence of tomorrow is such a burden sometimes for people yeah and that's actually how obviously we've put in the chapter and verse stuff within within these books but the end of chapter six it ends with don't worry Mm mm-hmm and Jesus was saying, hey, don't worry about your life. God's got you. God's got you. God's got you. And the very last verse in chapter six, verse 34 says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. So really, when you're tapping into that worry and just like really focus in on today, that's really a point that Jesus drives is just like be present in today. Mm-hmm. And as you're present in today, trust God for today that he'll provide what you need. And, uh, you know, he'll get you through today and then you'll wake up tomorrow and he'll get you through tomorrow, you know, and just like rely on him on the daily. Yeah. You got anything else on that? Um, I just think that it's funny. Another thing that I had heard uh, from a missionary is I couldn't tell you the country, but he was talking about Bible translation, but just this word for bread. Like biblically, bread is just like your daily like food provisions. Even you brought up Exodus and before that point, like. God says, hey, I'm going to provide you your bread for, for it. And then when it actually came, they ended up calling it manna. Manna mm-hmm. meaning like, what is this, right? So mm-hmm. it wasn't just like loaves of bread falling from the sky. They're like, oh, cool, it's food, but what is it? So it's kind of bread is interchangeable for like food. And he was talking about basically these people didn't have bread, so it didn't make sense for them. So the Bible translators ended up putting in banana because like <laughs> banana was the main staple of food that they just had. And, you know, and like when you translated it in that way towards just like that really got the point, like give us, you know, the daily banana, give us the daily food that we need. That's kind of just like in everything. 
And again, I just thought that that's funny. Interesting little tidbit that even whereas I'm saying, like, oh, what is daily bread? Like, what is daily? And like, what's this Greek word? Meanwhile, they're like, some people don't know what bread is. Like, <laughs> let's put a different thing in there. Well, I think it brings up the idea and the concept of like, sit down. And when you look at our daily bread, don't just look at it as like, oh, God's going to provide me food. Look at it as what do I need for today? Need. Need. Exactly. That key word, right? Need. What do I need for today? And God's going to sustain me with that. He's going to give me what I need for this day. So that way I can function. I can move. I could be here and present for him. But it's the, that word need. And I think a lot of times we get caught up. Uh, we confuse need and want so easily. And I don't know if I said that in one of our podcasts or somewhere teaching, preaching, whatever. But it's they're so borderline that we, we start to translate needs into wants we the we we think we want something so much that we need it and then it falls into a need category where jesus is here like saying hey really if it's bread banana manna whatever it is because right that's what manna was like what is this Mm -hmm. what is it that you need god's got you and to remember to look at it that way because we get caught up with stuff and need turns into our greed and then we become greedy for things and then we just want more and more and more. And it becomes more about consumption than it does about actually being satisfied in the presence of God. That's good. Hmm. You said our needs can turn into greeds or when we go beyond need, it can becomes greed. Well, however you said it, yeah. I like kind of bringing that. You, you rhymed it better than, than I remembered it. <laughs> um, looking at this, so the, one other thing that I want to bring out just as far as God's provision and that daily bread, right? This whole Sermon on the Mount comes immediately after Jesus coming out of the wilderness where he gets, you know, tempted and tested by the devil. And one of the things is Jesus is fasting, right? So he fasts. He's hungry. I mean, when it gets to the point, the, the Bible and English translations are almost like, and he became hungry. It literally is like his body got to the point to where it started eating itself. Like he was, you know, 40 days without eating, you start, the muscles start eating and doing that whole thing. What you see there is that the devil came in with the temptation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey. You could, you know, why not have some food and kind of the shortcut to it or the temptation to do things not in the godly way or to submit to a power that's not God or, you know, however you want to look at that temptation. And that when we're looking at God providing our daily bread, we want to make sure that we're going to God for that daily provision, that we're not trying to shortcut something or we're not trying to, you know, fall into our temptations for something else or, you know, However, that we're going to split our loyalties or like, no, God, like I'll fully follow you. But I, you know, I have a need and you're not meeting it right now. So I'm going to go over here and get Mm. this need met. I think that, hey, if you don't have it for today, rather than blame God that you don't have it for today, maybe wonder, like, am I in a time of quote unquote fasting? Is he withholding it for a reason? Like, let me get beyond myself and how self-important I am. And if I'm truly relying on God. Can I just trust him that he's going to give me what I need? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Versus, well, I had it yesterday or I think I need it for today or everybody else has it. And I definitely see it as essential. So I'm I'm, going to go get mine. And like it might be a legitimate need. Just like when you're starving in the desert, food can be a legitimate need. (laughs) But uh, bowing down to the devil to get it is not the way. That reminded me of... uh... Again, it's probably just because I'm reading through a lot of Genesis and Exodus right now, but it reminded me of the children of Israel when like Moses is up there and he's talking to God and getting all the stuff, commands, and coming down with the tablets. And it says when they built the golden calf that they got impatient and they're like, well, where is this Moses? Aaron, 
make us a God. And we're going to say this God is the God who took care of us. And everything you were saying just reminded me of that attitude that we can have as people because God's not meeting my needs or I don't see him there or I don't feel him there in my life. I easily want to turn to something else and say, now you're going to replace that. And what ends up happening is that you just find out that that thing that we try to replace it with, it's hollow and it's empty. And I think it's a good point of you understand your daily bread, backtracking just a little bit. You understand God is my provider and taking, he's going to take care of me. And I won't worry about tomorrow when I've started off with who he is and how great he is and asking for his will to be done in my life right. on earth and everywhere. You know, when I start off with him right. and recognize his presence. So let's let's uh, go to our first break, and then we're going to come back and try to tackle forgiveness and lead us not into temptation in 20 minutes. First break? Second break? First break, second break. <laughs> How long is this? We're going into a third episode? <laughs> no, I think we'll, we'll just cut, to, We'll just take a break. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a break, and let's uh, check out the Our Daily Bread Baking Company. All right, Judy, here is the rundown for this week's orders. We have the gluten-free birthday cake for Mr. Ross, the cupcakes for Grandparents' Day, and let's make sure that the store is stocked with cookies, macarons, pies, cinnamon rolls, and our fresh bread. You got it, boss. Wait, Mrs. Archuleta. Yes, June? Didn't we want to have donuts in the store this week? That's right, June. That's why you're the best baker out there. So I got the idea to open a daily bread bakery while watching baking shows. I thought to myself, it's time there's a local bakery that can meet all your daily baking needs. And with the help of my right-hand man and my top baker, Jude, we started the daily bread bakery. When Remy approached me about the idea, I was on board, but I had one requirement, that everything we make is slow baked and taste with manna from heaven. She said that wouldn't be a problem, so I was on board. And that's how the Daily Bread Bakery was born. Hopefully everyone who has one of our delicious treats leave with their bread and pastry needs met and a smile on their face. This is Read from YCF Kids News with another episode of Read on the Street to see what podcasts people are listening to. Excuse me, sir. Do you listen to podcasts? Yes, I do. In fact, I host my own podcast. You do? What's your podcast name? It's Your Church Friends. Where can they listen to your podcast? It's available on all your favorite podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Podbeam. Also, if people want, they can come visit our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. We have all our episodes up there for people to listen to. A link for our online shop with t-shirts, mugs, and other accessories if you feel like supporting us. Our latest YouTube videos where you can like, subscribe, and share our videos and a link to join our Facebook group page to get all the latest updates on what's going on with our podcast. Well, thank you for your time. Oh, also, you can listen to our podcast on our YouTube channel. And please buy a shirt if you can. Okay, that's Oh, buy a shirt. shirt. Buy a shirt. Yourchurchfriends.rocks because we rocks. Get out of here. Ugh. All right. For YCF Kids News, I'm Ree, and this was Read on the Street. All right, 
right, so we are back, and as we're looking about praying to God for our daily bread, sometimes he'll make it rain from heaven like manna, and other times he'll provide it through uh, somewhere like a bakery. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes he can provide our needs through other people. So as we're looking at getting the next section, really looking at uh, verse 12 saying, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's kind of paralleled in verse 14 and 15 as well. He says, for if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And then the negative side of it, but if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. Well, (laughs) okay then. (laughs) Jesus kind of doesn't leave any gray area there, right? That's pretty... It's like, look, either forgive and you're forgiven or don't forgive and you're not forgiven. And I can just imagine somebody trying to weasel in there somehow, like, but, but what about? And he's like, no, what didn't you understand? Like that reminds me of that, uh, that meme. It's uh, the office, and it's Stanley, and I mean they fill in whatever they want because it's memes. But then at the bottom of it, it's did I stutter? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's Jesus right here. Like, wait, how do I forgive? I mean, you could even see it as we go on further with Jesus in his life when Peter's like, hey, you taught us about forgiving in your prayer and you've kind of like consistently forgave people. But how many times are we supposed to forgive? Is it, you know, this many times? And Jesus is like, no, it's it's 70 times seven, you know, kind of blowing up your thought process on it all. And it, which is honestly a pretty legit question, because like, hey, look, it happened. I forgave. But then the dude is a jerk and it happened again. Like, and I was actually, I'm following along. I forgave him again. I did it seven times, but Jesus, there's got to be a limit. You know, like, that's a reasonable question to me. I don't see, like, as far as humanity goes, but that's where it's just like, oh, we're learning from the Messiah mm-hmm. and he's teaching us God's way of things. It's like, God, I'm so thankful that you forgive me that many times because I've been the jerk. <laughs> a <laughs> bunch of times. You know? Yeah. So it, it's, it's really the, it's a, Teaching Jesus here, teaching them that a kingdom perspective here, mm-hmm. right? Because this is what forgiveness is. It's a kingdom perspective uh, that those who genuinely love others forgive. We just got out of love your enemies. How do you love them? Pray for them. We, we got out of stuff like that. And, but here it is. He's like just saying that if you genuinely love, you're going to forgive. And people who don't forgive aren't kingdom people. You know, one of those nice little sayings is that grace receiving people uh, should be grace giving people. But that's what he's teaching us here. It's just this it's a different thought process. It's blowing up what we think, what we know, where we stand with how we forgive. And again, yeah, it's a legitimate question. Okay, I've done it seven times. How many more? And Jesus is saying, more, way more. And and it's because if we look at it, the the kingdom perspective here is that I was forgiven. Like you said, you've been a jerk plenty of times. No, no, I said I've been. Yeah, that's what I said. You've been. Oh, okay, we're still just talking about me. Yeah, I'm still totally talking about you. Yeah, (laughs) that Jesus has forgiven you a lot. Um, (laughs) uh, But you know, that's okay for those who've been forgiven. Much love, much. Exactly. That's why I'm loving. (laughs) Exactly, and that's the point I'm getting to in all of this is that the the idea that when we understand the amount and the quantity of how many times God has forgiven us in our life, that almost on a daily we do something that's not right or against his will and he still loves us he still cares for us go out and do the same thing for others go out and love them and forgive them it's a it's a kingdom perspective and like you like you said you know you love much because you've been forgiven much right Mm -hmm. and so when i've been when i've received the amount of grace 
that God has given me, I should be returning that amount of grace to other people. Right. And to kind of tie in what you were just saying as well with what we've already talked about with, hey, how many times do I forgive? And then just to kind of flesh this thing out a bit, because it can seem kind of rigid or harsh or just like, what do you mean I need to forgive in order to receive forgiveness? But you're saying, no, it's the type of person who has been forgiven is the type of person who goes and forgives. You know, it's kind of like if you're not forgiving others, then you probably don't realize how much you've been forgiven. And it's actually in the section, let's see, it's Matthew 18, 21 and following that we get Peter coming to Jesus and asking, hey, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? Up to seven times? He says, no, tell you not seven, but 70 times seven, right? And translations there can be different uh, as far as how much, but a lot. But then he gives a parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, again, he's talking about he's giving a, a, a kingdom perspective, right? On what forgiveness is like. It was like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Dude, how do you even get in that much debt? I don't know. That's an insane amount of debt. I mean, it's possible. It really is. And I, I think there are people who do that nowadays. But bags of gold. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's insane. Anyways, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had would be sold to repay the debt. It's like, oh, wow, okay, that family was worth a lot. They're worth, <laughs> you know, I was like, no, I just need to get rid of you. Um, but then he goes on to say, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. It's like, whoa, look at that grace, mercy, forgiveness, everything there again. This is somebody who's been forgiven, should understand what forgiveness looks like. But then we, the story picks up and says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, went and told their master everything that happened. When the master called the servant in, said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So I know that was a long story, but I think that that really gives a big visual on when it comes to, no, 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 we forgive each other because we understand what it is to be forgiven. And like, if you're not forgiving somebody, then like, whoa, like you got to check yourself on this forgiveness thing. Right. I, th I think it comes down to if you're not forgiving other people, if you're not working towards forgiving other people, because I, I know it's, it's a struggle, right? We're, we could talk about like small little things that like, hey, you pushed me. So, OK, I, I've got to forgive you for that. That's small. Or like my kids. They play and they play rough sometimes with each other. Someone accidentally hits someone and we got to teach them, hey, you got to forgive each other for that. You know, it's, it was an accident. But how do you forgive the person who has taken something from you that you love? You know, how do you forgive someone who's hurt you in such a way that, that there's a deep wound inside of you now? There's a hole, right? But this is Jesus saying you've got to work towards that forgiveness. Like it, they're... We, we work towards it, yes, because that's not easy. It's not going to be something that happens to me right away. But what really it comes down to is our forgiveness and our ability to forgive and working towards forgiveness with other peoples 
really says about our relationship and our fellowship with God. Right. And when you're saying, how do you do it? It's like, before you just go to the person or start thinking about the person or whatever, I'm like, well, I'm going to forgive you. It's like, mm, go to God. Yes. See, ask him, like, honestly, go to God and ask him to expose your heart and see where you need forgiving, see where your faults are, see where, you know, don't just like sh- blame shift to the other person. Like, well, you know, and, and that's that person's this, wrong. I need to forgive them and all this stuff is like. That's let, where this starts too. forgive yeah. us our. Exactly. And then forgive us of ours and then we'll go yeah. and forgive. And again, to really get that perspective, oh, we are a forgiven people who need to be able to forgive. And we see what a restored relationship with the Father looks like and that that's what reconciliation. So then we're going with that mindset, with that experience, with that everything to go and forgive somebody else. And like, honestly, you're saying like, oh, forgive the little things. It's I've had really major things happen in my life. And I'm not going to specifically say what they are because some of these people might listen to this podcast and I don't want to be like exposing things that have already been forgiven, but like really, really, really heavy stuff. But I have good relationships with those people today because you can forgive. Yeah. Like there's a huge thing where people like, yeah, man, like I get you like, thanks for the apology, but I can't forgive that. It's like, no, knock that off. You can forgive that. Like you can, you just are unwilling and you're unwilling because you don't understand forgiveness and you don't understand your own faults and where your sinfulness puts you before God. It's like when you stand before God and you see that and you you have that happen, you are more than willing. You're eager to go and forgive others and to try and have that relationship back. Like, don't tell me that you can't forgive something. Now, what I will accept is, hey, you can forgive somebody and allow you you create the environment that the relationship can begin to be repaired in the forgiveness. Forgiving doesn't mean that you immediately trust the other person on the same level. You know, Mm -hmm. you get to the point of like, hey, I'm willing to trust you enough to be able to like repair this thing again. But, you know, if if you screwed me out of a lot of money, I'm not going to let you borrow money. We're not immediately going. No, actually, the Bible says forgive without expectation of the people paying you back. That's Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, you can, you can, you know. Jesus challenges us in so many ways, but we're not called to be stupid either. And, you know, the the levels of trust that need to, trust is to a level earned, but forgiveness isn't. I think it tackles a lot, though. Like I was saying, that that fellowship with God and our relationship with Him, that really says volume. If we're not in a real relationship with Him, then we don't understand forgiveness properly. Mm -hmm. If I don't understand what the Bible says specifically about forgiveness then I'm not going to be forgiving people right. And even when you're talking about that, I the saying popped into my head, forgive, but don't forget. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but Jesus forgets. You know, God forgets. I'm going to cast your sin as far as from the east as to the west. I'm right. throw it down into the deepest ocean. And, and we, what that does, though, that statement alone, it says, I'm going to forgive you on my terms because I'm still going to hold on to my wound and I'm still going to allow it to be a part of my life. And I liked what you were saying that uh, when we really start forgiving, it doesn't mean we're like, okay, we're cool. It's no, we need to work on reconciling our relationship. We need to work on building this back up again to become what it was and if not stronger. Right. But it's a process through that. But forgiveness is that first step of reconciliation. And without it, we're not going to move forward. We're stagnant and we don't look like Christ. I think the most Christian thing we can do 
the most Christ-like thing that we can do is forgive other people. It's Or Messiah on the cross. Exactly. Forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And yeah. I read this. I think it was in um, Matt Chandler's book, To Live is Gain or To Die is Christ, something like that. Or to, I might, I'm totally butchering. Sorry, Matt. I'm sorry, Matt. Sorry, Mr. Chandler. Uh, your free plug got botched. Um, <laughs> but I read this and it blew my mind about Jesus when he was being beaten before the cross and the, the power to, like, the, they were hitting him and punching him and striking him and insulting him. All that was that the allowing of that wasn't, they weren't doing it like, you know, like by my might. You know, it was kind of like almost. They were hitting him, and he was just taking it in. Like at any moment, Jesus could have stopped all of that, right? He is God here on earth. But he took this punishment, and then, like you said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That was the power of Christ. And to me, it just kind of was like I never perspectively put it together that they thought like, oh, I'm punching just this person, but they're punching Savior, God, who's about to forgive them and wipe out that action that they're just doing. If they come to him, God, like there was a Roman soldier who repented at the cross. There was a, a criminal who repented at the cross and all those things wiped out. And it, it's so hard because we want to hold on to what people have done. And there is an aspect there that you brought up that word repentance, right? Yeah. Like forgiveness and repentance go hand in hand. As far as definitely if somebody has wronged you and they come repentant, what reason do you have to not forgive? But I think that there's also the point of we can we can do the act of forgiving and unlocking our side of the door to be like, hey, if you want to come through, I'm not holding you from, you know, barring you from that. And it's that really well-known saying is that unforgiveness or bitterness is the poison that you drink Mm -hmm. hoping to injure somebody else. Yeah. You know, you're trying to hurt somebody else by drinking poison. And like all that that unforgiveness does is it poisons your life. It makes you bitter. Anytime you think of that person, Mm -hmm. look at the bitterness that comes out of your heart. Look at the words that come out like, oh, man, if you see them, if you talk about them, if whatever, just your memory of them. And I forget where it came along. It was like in my way of thinking. But it's kind of if, if you if there's a person in your life that you think of and your immediate thoughts aren't love towards that person, then you have some forgiving work to do. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, I mean, there's so much in forgiveness and we could go on, but I do want to hit into yeah. lead us into temptation. The, the only last thing I want to throw in here there might be a grenade on the whole subject, too, is. Maybe we struggle with forgiving others because there is a problem with ourselves forgiving ourselves of things that we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sent me the meme. It was like a little stick figure, and it was playing uh, that bop it game. And it was like, bop it. Oh, right, right, right. That's easy. Twist it. Yeah, that's easy. Forgive yourself. Oh, that's hard. You know, <laughs> that that made me laugh so much. Maybe we can find that and put it somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I still have oh, it on let's there. Let's post it on our Instagram. I'll post it there. But it was totally funny, and it made me laugh, but it's the truth. And maybe I struggle with forgiving other people because I I struggle with forgiving myself. Again, that's something that has to be done with your relationship with Christ and your relationship with God and and taking it there because if he forgave you, you're forgiven. Yeah, and I do want to get onto this next part about the temptation. But the temptation, I mean, obviously when you fail in temptation, it leads into sin and it leads into needing forgiveness. And so again, on that part of forgive us our debts, he goes from our daily bread, our daily needs, and he goes, mm-hmm. forgive us our debts. I think that if we have the open relationship with God to where we are going to him, if it's on a daily basis, asking him for forgiveness and doing that, we realize how much we need forgiveness and we realize how much we're receiving forgiveness. 
you know, it's like when we're honest with ourselves, when we're honest with God, when we are seeking forgiveness, then it's way easier to give the forgiveness because, you know, we're, we're honest about, oh, this is part of this human experience right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into lead yeah. us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. When I was looking at this, I kind of saw it from two perspectives. In it, it's kind of just saying like we're asking God to guide us so that we're not out of his will. When I looked at lead us not into temptation, because I mean, in James, it talks about, you know, God won't tempt us. But it's here. He's just like the prayer uh, from what I read and understood it is just more of us like, hey, God, keep me in your will so that I can stay following you and how you're guiding me and that I won't get distracted by what's around me and kind of go that way or even put myself in a situation where I'm tempting God. So that way he has to come and save me. Because he's like saying, go this way. And I'm like, yeah, but this way seems more fun. So when I looked at uh, lead us into temptation, that was kind of the thoughts that came into my head that I wanted to share. And when we're looking at this thing about prayer, right? So it's just a few verses earlier in verse 8 when he's saying, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's a thing of when we're going to God and we're praying, hey, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Other places in scripture, we know that God doesn't tempt anybody with evil. And obviously, what the price that Jesus paid on the cross is our deliverance from the evil one. And you know, like God wants the best for us. And he already knows that. And he like, that's God's will for our life is that very part there, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is for us to be in God's will. And I think that for it to be part of our prayer life, it's our will aligning with his. The very fact that we are asking him for it is that it's the desire of our heart is that like, God, don't lead it. Don't lead me into temptation. You know, deliver me from the evil one. It's us going to God saying, I know that you have the power for this. I know that this is your will. It's my desire. So like through my words and then also leaving this prayer, right? It's going to be I just came and I prayed it. So I'm going to live my life that way, trusting that you aren't leading me into temptation, trusting that you are delivering me from the evil one. So again, it's the very fact of obviously God wants to deliver you from the evil one. Right. And you know that there's that. It's like, that's an obvious. But when we take part in that prayer, it's showing the desire of our heart that we don't want the temptation. Yes. You know, we don't want to get involved in that. We don't want to be part of the darkness. We don't want to give into the flesh. Yeah. We want to stay in his will. And I like that, the desire that we you desire to be in it. It made me think of David because David is just uh, one of my favorite people in the Bible. One, because he was short and handsome. So I feel like I relate in those areas. But the other one is that... Why? <laughs> the other part of it is that David is a... When, when he kind of starts going through his journey with God, there's always that prayer. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, <dude. laughs> I lost Murdoch. I'm sorry. Uh, the, I'll, I'll ring it in. I'll reel it in. The part of David's prayer has always been, God, if you're not with me, I don't want to go. If you're not going to go with me, I'm not going to go. So if, if, you, if this is what you want from me, you have to come with me type things, right? And so then God's like, I will be with you and I will go with you. And so they they go and he's always successful in battle and stuff like that. But then the part of lead me not into temptation always reminds me of the, him and Bathsheba. Because during that time, he was supposed to be at war, but he was in his palace living in luxury. 
and Murdoch still tried to control his laugh. Dude, I've got this thing like back when you're a kid in class and you can't look at your friend because you're going to buzz the... I'm over here closing my eyes, trying to look away so that I can hear the point that you're making and yeah. you're making a good point. Like I'm fully with you, but I keep going, no, I'm good. I'm good. I feel I like if we you. acknowledge it, it'll make it better. No. <laughs> I like David because he's short hands. Just like me. Um, oh, I had to really check it and just like, no, the Bible does kind of talk about that. But yeah. the fact that you have held on to that, that you could just pull that out. like There's two things I know about David. He was a short, good looking dude <laughs> and he was a man after God's own heart that I've clutched onto those two things. But it, well, he, again, uh, he was supposed to be out there in the battle with, with the kings. That's where he was supposed to be. But he was in the palace, just kind of lounging around, doing nothing. And there he sees Bathsheba taking a shower, ironically, Bathsheba bathing. Um <laughs> And there she is, and he sees her, and then temptation hits him. And he goes, and he, he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, ends up having to to murder her husband so that way everything can look right and gets busted of it. And this is like David's one of David's big fall here, right? This is where the guy who conquered Goliath just what happened to him. The guy who was trusting in God while he was running from Saul, what happened to him? Well, that part of the prayer, right? Lead me not into temptation. Keep me in your will. At that point of his life, he had gotten so comfortable, wasn't where he was supposed to be in the will of God. And that speaks volumes for us. And I think that's where this prayer kind of that part of it, it's that understanding. Stay in God's will. You won't be tempted by what's going to distract you because all you're doing is focusing in on what he wants and where he's headed and where you're going with him. And that's the earlier part of the prayer, right? Like Jesus telling us, your kingdom come, your will be done. Mm -hmm. And then we see things that fall into your will being done. You know, give us this day our daily bread. God's will is that he would provide for us. Forgive us our debts. Obviously, Jesus on the cross was for that, that we could forgive others. That's within God's will. And then, you know, leading us not into temptation and delivering us from the evil one. Like, yeah, your will done here on earth but our role in that, right, mm -hmm. is that obviously whenever there's temptation, Scripture tells us that God will provide the way out. It's our choice at that point. And I think that that's where when we're praying this and when it's a constant prayer for us, again, we don't need to recite this exact prayer. But if it's a daily prayer for us that we are coming to God, then when we go throughout our day and the temptation comes up, we're like, I prayed for this. God, you're giving me the way. You know, we prayed for it, and then we're seeing the answer to prayer. And I feel like God will give us the way out even if we're not praying for it because it's our, his will that we wouldn't sin. Mm -hmm. But I think that we're not as willing to take the way out if we haven't preemptively chosen and to come to God and say, I don't want that. You know, because I can think about things in my life that would be easy temptations to fall into. I was like, I need to be honest with myself and come to God and say, God, I need help. Yep. That's all I got. You got anything else? Hmm. <laughs> I could come up with a lot. Now, I don't want to just be coming up with stuff on the spot. Uh, not that that's not what I've been doing the whole time anyways <laughs> with my copious amount of notes that I have here. But I really think that just looking at this prayer, I know that we're saying that we don't need to just memorize this prayer and recite this one every day. But based off of everything that we've talked about over these past two episodes, if we really just took the time and maybe prayed it with all of this stuff in mind, you know, and putting in our particulars along the way, you know, flesh it out so it's not, what, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, four verses long. Flesh that out into however long that when we're talking about our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, 
put some praise in there, you know, mm-hmm. recognize God for who he is. Use this as like a structural framework and build it out into something that's that's beautiful, that is personal, that yeah. is, you know, something that you need and mm-hmm. to be able to, to spend the time there. But it's also so instructional, like mm-hmm. like you were saying. Yeah, and, and that was the purpose, right? They said, yeah. teach us and he's going to teach. I think, and I like that to wrap everything up here is that, you know, we, we talked about like, you know, don't just memorize it. But what I'm saying is don't just memorize it so it becomes words. That's right. what he was condemning the the Pharisees ahead of time was, you know, they're just saying words. It's nothing. There has no meaning yet. Memorize it so there's meaning behind it so that when you pray, you know how to pray. You know how to communicate. You know the structure and the flow of how to talk to God. And prayer needs to be a strong point in your life. And I think for all of us, you know, make it make it a good gut check here. Two questions to leave with. Is your life filled with prayer? And are you praying properly? Take some time, look at those two, and see where you land. And then look, come back to the Lord's Prayer and restructure your prayer life based off of how God taught us how to pray. Yeah, I like those questions. But also as we're looking at what's here is, are you trusting God to actually provide for your daily need and are you forgiving others mm-hmm. right because you're praying it but it also results in our lifestyle mm-hmm. so when you say amen what happens from that point and i think that as we're praying let's follow through with the rest of the lifestyle as well yes all right let's wrap this up i am chris and i'm murdoch thanks for listening 10 seconds 10 more seconds or that was 10 seconds no that was 10 seconds okay Hey, come on down to the Anger Emporium, where you can deal with all that pent-up anger from your day and get it out. We have tons of rooms to meet all your specific needs. You the type of person that just has to throw something when your blood is boiling? Then try out our fine china room, where you can smash plates, bowls, cups, until all the rage is gone. Maybe throwing things isn't how you deal with that temper, and you just need to smash something. Then try out our junkyard room, where you can take a sledgehammer to a car and release the beast within. And for the music lovers, you must try the Rockstar Room, where you can bash that guitar, flip a keyboard, kick the butt out of a drum set, find your peace as you crush a plethora of musical instruments. But wait, that's not all. Here are some newly added rooms. The Scream Room. Yow to your heart's content. The ask to talk to a manager room. Give that manager a piece of your mind. The Italian stallion room. Get that inner Rocky on and tear up a side of beef. The home demolition room. Smash walls. Smash toilets. Smash showers. Whatever you want. The fruit cocktail room. No fruit is safe from your wrath. The Anger Emporium. We're currently located by the I-5, 101, 233, 15, and 405 Highway and adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill. So come down and release that unrighteous anger and leave holy. It's the Anger Emporium. Anger Emporium. Anger Emporium. Come down today.